I know that the traditional response to the scripture reading is this is the word of God for the people of God. It almost feels after this particular passage though, everything is meaningless, it's all been done before, none of it will be remembered, that the author should have said something like, P.S. and have a nice day. Uh, it is currently on the Christian calendar, common time or ordinary time. It's our chance uh, to reflect on all the events we celebrated the first half of the Christian calendar, starting in Advent, the coming, the birth of Christ, and the season of Epiphany. There was the season of Lent, ending in Easter weekend. Then there was the season of uh, uh, Eastertide, ending in Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then in Pentecost, a uh, season of that, ending in Trinity Sunday, now we are in common time ordinary time when we get the chance to reflect on how, how all these grand events we just celebrated on the calendar impact common life, ordinary day-to-day -day living. And we as Christians are fond of saying that the lordship of Jesus Christ and our discipleship should impact absolutely every area of life. We Christians are fond of saying that, and we're right to say that. The familiar sayings that Jesus is not only for Sundays, he's equally for Mondays, sayings like that. That no area of life should go untouched by the redemptive work of Christ. That's a familiar saying among Christians. We're right to say it. This morning, I'd like to put that saying to the test. By picking out what seems to me the least likely kind of activity to possibly be redeemed and formative. And I'm thinking here this morning of repetitive tasks. Just the repetitive work that we all face each week, the kind of work where the only answer really you can give when someone asks you, why are you doing this? The only answer you can give is, it's gotta get done. I mean, why am I filling up the car with gas again? It's got to get done. Trip to the grocery store again to stop. It's got to get done. Driving to work, driving home, driving the kids around to their activities. Why do you do it? Well, it's, it's got to get done. Dusting furniture, sweeping floors, got to cook another meal, doing the dishes, putting the dishes away, weeding the garden, mowing the lawn, doing the laundry. Oh my goodness, repetitive tasks. And I think if you reflect on it, you find that a great deal of your work in your waking hours is done doing just repetitive tasks that gotta get done. I mean, sometimes something like cooking can be a creative enterprise. You see a recipe in a magazine, you watch the great British Bake Off and you think to yourself, that would be cool. And you got some time on a Saturday and you say, oh, let's try this out and see what happens. Yeah. But most of the time you cook a meal because somebody's got to do it. It's got to get done. There's no other reason. If I were home this evening, I asked my wife, Barbara, why are you cooking this meal for the family? Why are you cooking? She'd probably look at me like I was crazy. You know, what do you mean? we family has to eat. Why are you asking me that question? It's got to get done. In my job, sometimes I do get to creatively write something, some new project, but the bulk of my work as I reflect on it, it's repetitive tasks. 
I've been grading the same assignments year after year and the same kinds of comments, answering the same kinds of emails. Well, you'll find this if you look at the syllabus. It's under section four. and you find, It's the same kinds of things, you know, over and over and over. And the fact is repetitive tasks can very quickly come to be menial tasks that can seem meaningless and pointless to us. You ever ask yourself, you know, why, honey, are we cleaning the house? I mean, we have children. It's just going to revert almost immediately back to this state. Why are we doing this? The laundry, why are we doing it again? It's, well, I just did the laundry. It's, the basket's full. Well, I just did it. Well, it's full. I don't know what to tell you. It's got to be done again. I ask myself this thing about weeding. Uh, we have this little garden in the back of our yard. We try to grow a few things each year. And we, we weed as a family because it's just too onerous for one person to dig up all these weeds. So we go out as a family and we spend this afternoon weeding. And then the next big heavy rain, the weeds are right back. It's amazing. And I think, why did we do this? We could have just saved that time and, and it's the same situation we're in. I had this battle with my lawn this spring and early summer with all the rain we had. This, the lawn was growing so quickly. And we live in this small town of Mount Sterling, and in these small towns, the houses come with large yards, and we have a large yard and a small push mower. It takes about two hours to mow, and it's fine every seven or eight days. You get some fresh air and exercise, but I would mow the lawn, and two days later, it would look like it needed to be mowed again. I don't have time to mow the lawn every third day. This is a repetitive task that's meaningless. And I, and I hatched this plot in my mind one time this spring. I, w I was this close to, to, to actually going through on it. But my plot was just to give up on the lawn, just, just to let it grow. Let it grow. And I mean long, like three to four feet. Let it sprout and go to seed and tell the neighbors it's prairie grass. You know? Oh, yeah, Mrs. Thompson. It's supposed to look like that. It's very exclusive prairie grass. Oh, yeah. It's the latest trend in, in, in landscaping. I hope you enjoy looking at it. Yeah. Just be done with it. You know? Well, I don't know if the writer of Ecclesiastes had his own issues with lawn maintenance or he had looked at one too many overflowing laundry baskets or what, but he captures really well the kind of feeling that you can get doing repetitive tasks. Everything is vanity. It's all meaningless. All streams flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. You can keep doing laundry, but you never get to the bottom of the basket. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. What has been done will be done again. What has been will be again. Hamsters on a big wheel, the same thing over and over. Why are we bothering with this? Now, once again, we as Christians want to say that Christ can redeem and make formative every aspect of life. But is that really true about repetitive tasks, the menial work we have to do each week? How is that supposed to be formative, helping us get union with Christ? And I think the beginning of a Christian response is to reflect on how God generally goes about his work of redeeming the world. So if we start with the Old Testament, there's a neat summary 
of the Old Testament narrative in Nehemiah chapter 9. And I'd like to read to you the chapter, at least most of the chapter this morning. Just sit back, take this in, and think about the kind of response God keeps making to his people as he's helping them grow. So from Nehemiah 9, You, God, saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry land. You hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger you gave them bread from heaven and in their thirst you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go into the land and take possession of it, the land that you had sworn to give them with uplifted hand. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to slavery. But you are a forgiving God gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. Their children went in and took possession of the land, and they ate to the full and were well-nourished, and they reveled in your great goodness. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you, and from heaven you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them again, time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law. But 
They became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of their neighboring people. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. The history of the Old Testament, God occasionally comes down with a new law, a new command like Mount Sinai through Moses, but most of the time it's teaching his people the same lessons over and over and over again. We go to the New Testament and it's largely the same story. Jesus is amazed that the Pharisees and Sadducees still haven't learned the point of various Old Testament laws. How many years has it been? They still haven't learned the point of these things. And his disciples are not much better. They're not exactly quick learners. Jesus has been with them for some time teaching. When we come to Matthew chapter 15, he tells a parable. Peter asks him to explain the parable. Jesus' response to Peter, Matthew 15, 16, are you still so dull? Or the King James Version, are you still without understanding, Peter? How many times have you heard me teach this? you still not understanding this. At one point, he says to all his disciples to beware the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And his disciples kind of blink their eyes and look at him and say, beware of their yeast. Teacher, we don't have any bread. Jesus' response, Mark 8, 21. Do you still not understand? How many times have we been over this, folks? Just before the day of his crucifixion, Jesus tries to reassure the disciples by telling them that he's going and preparing a place for them with his heavenly father. And the disciple Philip pipes up. Says, Lord, show us the father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? John 14, 9. How does Jesus teach his disciples, help them grow? By leading them through familiar lessons, familiar themes, time and time again. Yes, Jesus has some one-off momentous acts in his work of redeeming the world. The incarnation, his miraculous birth, his voluntary death and his resurrection, his ascension. These are wonderfully momentous acts which we rightly celebrate on the Christian calendar. But the bulk of Jesus' work in redeeming the world, the bulk of his work, is repetitive tasks teaching us the same lessons, opening us to us, up to us each day, the same opportunities. Here's your invitation. Here's the same encouragement. 
extending the same forgiveness when we fall short, giving us grace for the next day so that we can start the process all over again, lather, rinse, repeat. Day after day, as we walk, as we grow through this process, little by little of growing into the likeness of Christ. We all have various lessons God has been trying to teach us. I assume that a lot of these lessons are common to all of us. Some of these lessons might be particular to individuals, but I'm thinking of lessons like about self-centeredness, about hanging on to grudges, resentments, lessons about pride, lessons about laziness, lessons about forgiveness, lessons about the need to try to control things. Whatever the particular lessons, if you're anything like I am, some of these lessons have been dragging on for decades. I mean, I reflect back on my life and some of these lessons I still haven't learned fully. Uh, the Lord has been trying to teach me for decades. I'm still not there. So we come pretty quickly to see that the most clearly visible attribute God has in his relationship with us is patience. When we say God is love, that's the starting point. Well, yeah, God is love. That is the starting point. My point is that this love is manifested toward us day by day, primarily through his enduring patience, giving us the same grace, teaching us the same lessons, opening up the same doors and opportunities, giving us the same encouragement, extending the same offer of forgiveness repetitively, day after day after day, after decade after decade. When we engage in repetitive tasks, and we do so with integrity, faithfulness to what's in front of us. We are imitating Christ. And we know it is through the imitation of Christ that we grow into his likeness. Because Jesus is continually engaged in repetitive tasks, when we are faced with these repetitive tasks each week, it is our opportunity to have union with Christ as we join him in the kind of work he's doing and allow him to say to us, welcome to the club. You think you got a list of repetitive tasks to do this week? Yeah, welcome to the club. Now, let's go do our repetitive tasks together. It's an opportunity for union with Christ. Lately, I have found it helpful when I'm faced with the kind of, the, you know, the menial tasks, the repetitive, just got to get done tasks. To say to myself, sometimes out loud, Jesus did repetitive tasks. Jesus did repetitive tasks. Jesus does repetitive tasks. I got to tell you, I actually find that really helpful 
in maintaining a good state of mind in the midst of these repetitive tasks that threaten to become really meaningful, menial, if not meaningless. Whatever the saying or the kind of reflection that you yourself find helpful, rest assured that God is in the midst of repetitive tasks you face. He's there with the power to transform them and make them genuinely formative for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you want no aspect of our life to go untouched from your lordship and from the opportunity to have union with you and for that activity to be spiritually formative. Thank you, Lord, that even in the repetitive tasks, the menial work that's just got to get done each week, that you are there. I pray that you would keep us mindful, Lord, of the enormously repetitive work that you have done and continue to do in our lives and in the lives of people we love. Help us, Lord, to have greater, deeper union with you as we join you in faithfulness, Lord, and integrity in the repetitive work that life does call us to do. And so we give you even that aspect of our life as we give you all our lives, saying that we are available, Lord, to be used by you. And thank you that you meet us whenever we work with our eyes on Jesus. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.